For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. From the alley-oop to Kizar to the glory days at the stick. From who's got it better than us to brick by brick. It's always the 49ers way from off-season to game day. Yeah, we talk back. It's the 49ers cut back. It's 49ers Cutback Podcast time. Welcome to the show on further review is what it's going to be all about. Uh, my second trip, third, fourth trip through the film and finding out exactly how each player played. We're going to go over, you know, the stock up 49ers on offense and defense, the guys that performed at a high level and maybe some that didn't do as bad as was first uh, interpreted. So when you're first time watching, sometimes it appears somebody played worse than they actually did. But once you get into the film, you get an idea of how these guys actually performed. And of course, different things stick it stick out to different people because of the, the way that they're approaching the football game. So I'm ready to get into that. I also have some nice notes from things that I saw that maybe the 49ers need to improve on at certain positions. And of course, we're going to talk about some of the players that played at a really high level and some of the guys that need to pick it up because in the grand scheme of things, some of these players are looking to make the 49ers 53-man roster and some know it's going to be a tough battle. We have to put good film out there so we have not only an opportunity to make the 49ers practice squad, but potentially land on another roster too. These guys are giving everything they got uh, to play at the highest level and, and that's exactly what they're trying to do. So, in this one, I just want to go through what happened in the game, and but really focus on performances, less about the outcome, the score. Uh, none of that really matters in this episode. I just want to go through each individual player's outcome of how they performed. And of course, we're not going to be able to address every single player that played in this football game because the 49ers did go deep into their roster. But I think there was some high points and some things that stood out, and I'm looking forward to getting into all that in this episode. The first thing I wanted to get into, it was just a, a little note that I saw when I was watching the defense, is I noticed that that first group of linebackers that the 49ers had in, uh, which included Marcelino McCurry Ball, uh, it included Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, and, uh, and Robinson as well. Those guys, Curtis Robinson, I thought they did pretty good. But there was a couple of things that I noticed. Number one, in some plays, they pe appeared slow, to read whether it was run or pass. The distinguish between the two was definitely something that I thought was catching them a little bit off guard. I don't know if that was the vision that they were seeing. Uh, of course, the offensive line was getting a good push because the other thing that was very noticeable was the Raiders were double-teaming the 49ers' defensive tackles and getting a nice push. 
And when that happens, not only does it move the line of scrimmage and create you know more opportunities for you to gain yards, but it also uh, muddies up the way that running, or sorry, that linebackers are able to navigate through and make tackles. So if your defensive line can hold their ground, that's going to free you up as a linebacker to be able to go through, find your window, get downhill, and make a tackle. When they start to get pushed, it kind of messes up your lines as you're able to navigate and find that open window. So it makes it more difficult. I felt like at times it was a combination of both. Sometimes the defensive line was getting pushed back, making it tough for linebackers. And then I felt sometimes the linebackers were a little slow to react to what they were seeing and get up the field and make plays. And I also thought sometimes their eyes were undisciplined when it comes to receivers that they were supposed to cover. A lot of times the Raiders were able to move the linebackers uh, with pulling offensive linemen and or running back action in the backfield and then create opportunities. One in particular, I saw Curtis Robinson flowing downhill and he's got a uh, backside in the run game, but he's also got anyone coming back across his face as a receiver because uh, he's got that zone to the outside of him. And what happened was he got his eyes completely in the backfield and lost the tight end that crossed right in front of his face. It ended up being a bootleg and a pass out on the other side for a completion. So these are little things that you're going to have to read. And I know sometimes it's hard for these linebackers and pretty much all these players, especially the ones who haven't played consistently, to be able to understand what their jobs are on each play, but to also know what their reads are on each play. And for Curtis Robinson, when he knew there wasn't an eligible to his side that was going to come out on the other side, he should have been looking for anyone coming back across the grain. It's not common for them to run a tight end back across the grain on the defensive side of the line of scrimmage uh, without it being an actual pass. So if he would have been looking at his reads, he would have been able to distinguish, hey, this isn't going to be a run play. You're not going to release a tight end across the field on a drag on a run play. So his eyes were a little dirty. He was looking into the backfield, which is understandable. You're trying to make plays. You're trying to get downhill and be able to make tackles in the backfield. And that kind of thing happens. So getting a little bit more disciplined on the reads is something I want to see from the 49ers second and third group of linebackers. But overall, I thought they had a pretty good performance. You know, that one that Demetrius Flanagan fouls got beat on the pass on the deep corner route. Like that's tough for any linebacker, let alone a Mike linebacker picking these guys up and being able to run, you know, stride for stride. Not every single player in the league can do the Fred Warner type plays. And the fact that Flanagan fouls was close and nearby that tight end I thought was impressive on that play. So a little bit slow to read in the run game, maybe some muddy eyes when it came to play action. Uh, but those are all things that Coach Hollins is going to work on in practice. And I thought overall it was a good showing from the linebackers, whether that was Marcelina McCurry ball having six tackles or a guy like Jalen Graham coming in and showing up and showing out. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about Jalen Graham uh, along the way during this episode. Another thing, when I was talking about the Raiders double-teaming the 49ers defensive tackles, another thing I noticed was the 49ers did try some games on the inside with their linebackers. Or I'm sorry, with their defensive line. But what they were trying to do was some stunts that were going to free up guys on the inside and be able to create pressure or just confuse the Raiders' offensive line. So Steve Wilkes went with a pretty vanilla overall defensive scheme 
uh, didn't run very many complex coverages, didn't really disguise coverages uh, from pre-snap to post-snap. He he didn't really bring a lot of blitzes, uh, but he did do a couple of stunts. At some times, it felt like the stunts definitely weren't executed well. Whether there was there was one play where they had Javon Kinlaw do a long stick, so that means he's in one gap and he's going to stick across two gaps. That means go from one side all the way to the other to get in there and make a play. And no one came to go to cover the gap in which he vacated. So either Kevin Givens missed uh, the signal and he was supposed to take it inside this way so Kinlaw could loop around, or a linebacker was supposed to come up and fill in that category. It didn't happen and resulted in a big run. If you go back to the first offensive play for the Raiders, they ran right up the middle with Zamir White, and it was a really nice play. But part of the reason was, in this play, Wilkes was hyper-aggressive, and he brought two guys off the left, including Jair Brown. I'm sorry, off the right. Uh, the offense is left, and both those guys were coming, and they were able to kind of open up that middle because those guys came on the outside. So he was trying to be somewhat aggressive at times, but you could definitely tell he was not dialing it up. He was not showing anything coverage-wise, uh, post-snap to pre-snap adjustments. He wasn't even really giving any signal as to what kind of defense he's going to run at which time. He was also very active about keeping a fourth guy inside the box. So Fournier's had their four uh, in, down defensive linemen. Normally you have your base four, three linebackers. Well, they were also bringing up a safety and playing eight guys in the box and trying to convince the Raiders to check to something else. Of course, they didn't because they just were willing to double team, get that push, and then run up the middle. Uh, but I thought Lyman games didn't work out. There was another occasion where they tried a TE stunt, which is a tackle and end stunt. And so um, Kevin Givens was supposed to get a, a little bit of a push. He's going to push the guard and tackle out. And then Austin Bryant's going to loop in. But what happened was there wasn't enough push from Givens. And actually, Austin Bryant got caught up on the tight end who ends up coming across the formation and making a catch. And it messes up the timing and Bryant doesn't get home. So there's some things that they definitely got to work on as far as timing, as far as things up front. Uh, but there were some good things I saw from the defensive line as well. And I'll get into that for sure when we get into our stock up offensive and defensive players uh, during this episode. The other thing that I noticed, because, you know, with Trey Lance being in there and Sam Darnold, a lot of attention was going to the offensive line and about how some were saying, hey, this offensive line looks really bad. And there were some bad reps from the offensive line. But part of the reason was the Raiders were consistently blitzing on third down. It didn't matter if the 49ers were at third and five or third and six or third and one. The Raiders were blitzing pretty consistently with their linebackers. And so a lot of times you got six-on-six six situations, which means everyone has to win one-on-one, -on -one, or if the Raiders did what they did a few times and sent both linebackers to one side of the offensive line, uh, one side of the line of scrimmage, they were going to outman you uh, without a little bit of an adjustment from the center. And I felt like sometimes the centers weren't able to handle the protections and the fact that you got you know, your backup center John Feliciano only playing nine snaps. You were going with a tremendously young center uh, in Corey Luciano at the end of the game. But Keith, Keith Ishmael, who's been around for a little bit, but definitely was struggling to make sure all the protections were together. 
So I thought that was a, another big thing that the Raiders did that put a little bit of pressure on the 49ers offensive line and protection, put pressure on the running backs as far as protection, and then also uh, in kind put pressure on the 49ers quarterbacks. But I thought that overall it's good work and it was good learning experience because now Chris Furster can look at it and say, hey, look, uh, Keith, this is what happens when they do this. Make sure you adjust. Hey, uh, Nick Zakel, Jason Poe, you see how you have to pass off? You're going to have to do that at a higher rate and a higher level. And I thought overall that was going to be good learning experiences for a young offensive line. And I think overall when you're walking out of a preseason game, those are the types of things, those learning experiences that you're looking for. Yeah, you want your guys to play well. You want them to execute on all the things that you've been teaching them. But every once in a while, things come up, and by visualizing it and seeing it on film, uh, they can see themselves struggle, and then you can go ahead and coach them, correct it, or even help them with a different technique or even more communication between the players on the field. All those things are very pivotal you know, to your team and how you're going to uh, develop. So I thought those were very important. When it comes to Trey Lance's uh, beginning and how he started, I thought the first play overall was a situation where it's a quick play. Uh, so it was a two-step drop. Trey Lance is supposed to hit the back foot, and he's supposed to throw the ball out to the right to his receiver. Now, the receiver did have some coverage behind him, but there was an opportunity if his back foot would have hit for him to release that football to the outside. In no situation could it have been a pick six, not with the uh, timing and not with the fact that Trey Lance has the arm ability that he has. He leads him to the outside. It's either a catch or an incompletion. So when you saw Sam Darnold make his first throw in the third quarter, it was the same play. Two-step drop. He throws it to the outside. Of course, it was incomplete to Tate Martin. Then there was a conversation was Tate Martin supposed to be off the ball or was he supposed to be on the ball? Because they got a penalty for illegal formation because Tay Martin covered up Cameron Latu. So maybe he was supposed to be back, and that messed up the timing. Or it was the fact that Sam Darnold saw the same thing Trey Lance did, a cornerback that hadn't given uh, too much room and was really close to the receiver, and so he elected to throw it to the outside. That we don't know. But that's the same kind of throw that Trey Lance should have made. An incompletion is better than a sack. And when you're going to a quick game, you're going to get pressure from the interior, a part of your offensive line. The offensive line is going to get pushed back because two steps is not a lot for these offensive linemen to be able to hold. Plus, when they know you're going to get rid of the football quick, their footwork changes, the type of, the type of protection they go to, the type of kick slide, uh, the way they attack the defender completely changes by not only how the defensive guy is playing them, but also what the play is. It changes significantly. So when you have a two-step drop like that, you need to get rid of the football. You can't afford to double clutch and look somewhere else. You can't go through multiple reads, even though you know there's probably other receivers open, which there is. But he tried to go one, and he, by the time he got to two, he was getting pressure because of the short drop. If it would have been a three-step drop or a five-step drop, he probably could have went read two and read three and got the ball to Ronnie Bell, who was open on read three. But I would have loved to see him hit that back foot and absolutely rip it outside to the wide receiver. And it's either a catch and a six or seven yard gain, which puts you ahead of the sticks, or it's an incompletion and you live to fight another day. So that was something I saw from Trey. I didn't believe it was an offensive line play on, on play one. 
but definitely there was other plays that were offensive line plays. The very next play, he comes back, he gets a clean pocket, and he absolutely rips the ball out to uh, Ross Dwelly on the outside on an out pattern, catches the ball, turns up field, and turns a third and long, uh, potentially into a third and manageable. When he comes back for the next play, he drops back, and this is another time where he's indecisive. It doesn't feel like he can rip the ball to Dwelly, who's sitting down in a zone. The cornerback is just coming off the wide receiver on the outside. He has just turned him loose. If he throws the ball to the inside of the tight end, whether Dwelly's watching or not, just rip it there. Uh, he'll get his head around. He'll either catch it or he won't, but that's on Dwelly. And so he's got to be comfortable making that read and ripping that football. If he did, it probably could have been a completion and a moving of the sticks. Unfortunately, he didn't rip it. Uh, he pulled it down. And he ends up taking a sack. But once again, another situation where the offense's, offensive line's expecting a three-step drop. It doesn't happen. They give up pressure, and it's a sack. So uh, those things kind of put in perspective what you're getting from a quarterback in Trey Lance and then what you're getting from an offensive line. Uh, there were plenty of other scenarios where Trey Lance got sacked because of poor offensive line play. Uh, there's one in particular where he actually avoids the sack and is able to get three or four yards. Jason Poe. Uh, looking to pass off a defensive tackle, but Jalen Moore is going out to pick up a wide nine defensive end. He does. Uh, Jalen Moore should have come up and blocked that defensive tackle, uh, but he did not. He thought he needed to go inside and give help, and he was passing off to Moore, and so it was a is a miscommunication, and it resulted in Trey Lance having to scramble. There's another one where Nick Zakel just absolutely gets beat to the outside and he should have done better. He had inside help from John Feliciano, so when the defensive tackle restacked his rush, he allowed. He thought he could. Uh, he was going to have him head up, and he was going to get help from Feliciano, but what happened is the guy got onto his outside and beat him to the outside, and Nick Zichel ended up suffering a holding call. So there were times where uh, offensive line play was bad. I just thought overall there was less reps of bad offensive line play then it appeared on film, and I wanted to kind of go over, you know, some of the times that hey, sometimes it's on, sometimes it was on the quarterback, uh, sometimes it was on a tight end, sometimes it was on, you know, the offensive line. I don't think overall it was one form of execution that was really bad in one area, and I thought some of the guys looked better on film than ultimately uh, I was kind of thinking they would. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So let's go to stock up. 49ers offensive players. And I think stock up, you have to start with Ronnie Bell. I know Ronnie Bell has the ball bounce off his hands for an interception. Um, and you don't want that, right? That was from Brandon Allen that hit him right where it's supposed to hit him, right in front of his face mask. And the ball bounces up and is intercepted. That's not something you want. Uh, but I thought there was so much good about Ron what Ronnie Bell did in the game. I thought he did pretty good at kickoff and punt return. Not as good as Deshaun Jameson, but I thought he did pretty good. I thought overall the play he made 
on the jet sweep going to the outside, the fact he ran so hard, breaking tackles, spinning off, getting extra yards. It showed a fight and kind of a versatility of what you can get from a player like Ronnie Bell. So I really liked the things that he was doing in the game. You know, he had a really tough catch over the middle. Sam Darnold led him up the hash. Uh, he caught the ball and was able to hold on to it even when he took a big hit. Of course, he had the deep one down the sideline where Sam Darnold throws it over and into the basket, and he makes a great catch. Uh, that was a good play as well. So I thought overall Ronnie Bell asserted himself and took a step forward, and it all held up on film. And he looked just as good when I was watching it, you know, second and third time compared to when I watched it live. Chris Conley's another stock up 49er. Uh, the way that he was able to operate within the offense, he was very confident sitting down in zones, very secure with his hands and catching the football, a little bit of yards after the catch, but we've seen him catch footballs you know, from Trey Lance, and it felt like Trey Lance had a nice uh, synergy with them, and they, they worked together well, and the chemistry was there. And I like Chris Conley's ability because you got a guy that really has a size like Jawan Jennings, uh, Conley's six foot three, over two hundred pounds, uh, blocks well, and has pretty good speed. If he gets in the open field, uh, he can house call it. This is a guy coming out of college, ran a four three. You have a lot of potential there, and I thought he did a very good job of making the 49ers take notice that he's a very consistent and you know a guy you can count on. And I think that dependability is something the 49ers are looking for at wide receiver. He also gives you. Uh, something that you know others don't, young players don't, and that's that ability that if you want to bring him back, you can release him. So you could release him on August 29th on final cutdown day, uh, put Ray Ray McLeod on the IR, and then bring Chris Conley back. And you know he's somebody that definitely would make sense for that. And I think so far his play throughout training camp in the preseason makes me think he's a prime candidate to be a contributor to the 49ers 2023. NFL roster, and we'll see, you know, if he ends up making this team. But uh, to me, Conley stepping in the right direction. Ty Davis Price, running back Ty Davis Price, I thought looked really good in the game. Continued his upward trajectory from what we saw in training camp. His body's definitely different. His feel within the offense of when to cut, when to accelerate, his vision, uh, all that looks really good. And I think that when it comes to Ty Davis Price, a question mark last year was about protection. And I thought he did a pretty good job. There was a couple of plays where the Raiders brought those linebackers on third down, and he absolutely stymied them in the hole. Earlier in the game, he tried to go low, uh, and you know the Raiders player was able to get back up and get pressure on Trey Lance. Uh, but after that, he didn't go as low. He hit him right in the, the bread basket and held him up. And so I thought Ty Davis Price did a really good job, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing his continued growth throughout the preseason. And I think it's becoming obvious from what Matt Miyoko has said and from what we heard from Tim Ryan uh, that potentially Ty Davis Price is in the competition uh, with Jordan Mason. And why not? I mean, let him compete. Let's see what happens. Let's see who comes out on the other end with the big victory. But uh, to me, it just means good news for the 49ers running back room where they could be four really, really deep players. So stock up for Ty Davis Price and stock up for Sam Darnold. I thought Darnold came out and showed what we've seen uh, for the most part at training camp was a guy that was very confident in his reads, uh, you know, didn't hesitate, made the throws he wanted to make. And I thought he took some chances. 
And that's what you're looking for. You know, when you're talking about a quarterback that could potentially be quarterback two, uh, you're looking for a guy that's, you know, willing to uh, take those shots and take those chances and, and make the appropriate reads, but doesn't hesitate. And I thought he did a good job. And I think, you know, going into the game, the thought was, and I know my thought was that Trey Lance from what he had done at training camp was a little bit ahead of Sam Darnold. And I think coming out of this game, uh, Sam Darnold is now right there with him if he's not a little bit ahead. Uh, so Trey's going to have to step up his game going into the next game uh, because I think that right now, if Sam Darnold continues to play at the level he played at, he's going to secure the quarterback two job. Um, and you know what? For good reason. I mean, I thought he did really good. He's got to continue it. It's not like he can just fall off now. Uh, but, you know, overall, Darnold... You know, I mean, he he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's proven that he's a pro that started, you know, 55 games in his career. Uh, tight end Troy Fumagalli is another stock up guy for me. I thought Fumagalli did good blocking. Fumagalli did good receiving. He had some really good catches and a little bit of yards after the catch. So uh, we've been talking about this tight end room of Ross Welly, Charlie Warner, and then the two young guys, Braden Willis and Cameron Latu. And I think Troy Fumagalli is somebody that's kind of flown under the radar, but was with the 49ers last year all throughout training camp and then was one of their cuts. So he understands this offense inside and out, and he is a competitor who's been on NFL rosters before. And so I think that Troy Fumagalli, if he can continue to play well, hey, maybe he can put pressure on a Charlie Warner or Ross Dwelly. And if the 49ers really are still trying to decide on Braden Willis and Cameron Latu, you know, uh, Fumagalli could be a, an added element to this tight end room. And really what you're looking for is a guy that can contribute in the passing game and blocking. And Fumagalli is a guy that fits that mold. We didn't see any catches in the game from Charlie Warner. We did see him block well. We didn't really see uh, you know, a whole lot from Ross Dwelly. We did get to see the nice touchdown, uh, the great catch on the, the Trey Lance uh, out ball. So I guess he did have a couple good plays. Uh, but I think I expect that from Ross Welly when it comes to receiving. That's never been a question for him. So that stock up uh, 49ers on offense. I thought those guys did good. Um, there's a lot of players that played kind of up to expectation, but they weren't stock up, so I didn't put them on the list. Stock up defensive players, and I thought there was a long list. And I'm, I'm going to start with the guy uh, that has been much maligned since last year's training camp. And that's Ambry Thomas. Uh, going back and watching his film, I thought Ambry Thomas played even better uh, than I thought he did watching it live. So Ambry Thomas is definitely trending in the right direction. I thought he looked like a guy that could be, you know, the third cornerback. And I think a lot of people, including myself, have thought maybe Sam Womack was cornerback three right now. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, beyond Isaiah Oliver at nickel, but... Uh, that next guy in for Diameter Lenore or, or Mooney Ward. And now I think it's Ambry Thomas. I think that's, he's kind of jumped ahead of Sam Womack after one game. Of course, he has to be consistent. He has to stack reps and he has to make sure he continues this play. But I thought him, the way he tackled, the way he played uh, coverage, recognizing route concepts, being able to close, get pass breakups. I, I, I just thought it was a really good performance from Ambry Thomas. And now I know why Steve Wilkes has talked about, you know, how much he's improved. So Ambry Thomas was a big stock up for me. Uh, linebacker Jalen Graham. I think Jalen Graham's a huge stock up for me as well. I know that on PFFs, 
uh, list. They had him as one of the lower-rated linebackers, but you know I think that he's lower-rated in a couple of categories, uh, probably in as far as coverage. But the reason it's stock up is because it's a young guy who was going forward, recognizing his windows and getting downhill and making tackles. And there were some plays that were, ooh, plays. And when you get those plays at linebacker, you know there's something to build off of. And I thought Jalen Graham did a really good job of asserting himself as far as being a run stopper. And I think that the, you know, the pass coverage uh, is going to come, but he showed himself to be a tremendous athlete. He can disengage from blockers and make tackles. Uh, so there's work to be done for sure. He's not a finished product, but you're talking about a seventh round pick. And I thought he came out and showed that he has the ability to play in the league. And so it's huge stock up for Jalen Graham. Stock up for his counterpart, D. Winters. Uh, D. Winters ran down a jet sweep. And that's a wide receiver running sideline to sideline. D. Winters shows off the 4-4 speed. He's absolutely spectacular. Good instincts. I thought that he did a pretty good job. Uh, there was some hustle plays involved, too. There's one play. It looks like Jalen Graham has the receiver to the ground, which is a great play. Uh, the guy gets away, and D. Winters finishes him off. And I thought that was huge that D. Winters didn't stop, played till the whistle blew. And so he's been a little bit slower to grasp this defense compared to what Jalen Graham has been. So we've seen less reps from D. Winters. But I've always said, once he settles into this defense, once he has an understanding of it, then his real instincts are going to take over. Once his instincts take over, this guy is like an absolute man on a mission. He flies around. And I think that's what the 49ers are waiting for, that moment when it clicks and he has a full understanding and grasp of this defense. And then you can see what you saw at TCU, which was those natural God-given instincts to go out and make big-time plays. So stock way up for D winners. Stock up for Cleveland Farrell. Uh, Cleveland Farrell looked very good setting the edge against the run. He had the big sack on Aiden O'Connell. Uh, a couple other times, he had a little bit of a push and pressure. I thought he looked good. His hand technique looked good. And overall, he looked like a very solid base 4-3 defensive end for the 49ers. And I think the 49ers are getting more comfortable with the idea that if they need to, Nick Bosa and Cleveland Farrell can start opposite of each other, and Farrell will be just fine. So I thought overall it was a good showing for him. Once again, uh, you got to consistently get better. But as a guy that was one of the only uh, potential starters to play, it was Cleveland Farrell, was Isaiah Oliver, two guys that are going to be potential starters for the 49ers who weren't on the team last year that the coaches felt they need to get a look at, probably evaluate, uh, and then just get some extra work because they haven't played within this scheme before. And so I thought Farrell did a really good job showing what he's got. A couple more guys in the secondary, actually a few that I thought looked pretty good. Deshaun Jamison, I thought, played corner well. There was no real shining moments where he made plays, but I thought that overall his coverage was good. He was uh, sticking right to people. You could see the fluidity that we've seen all throughout training camp. He's a real smooth operator out on the outside, and I think he's still training in the right direction. But where he made a huge impact was in his kickoff and punt return abilities. Uh, this is the best that I've seen him in the NFL. Uh, at practices, you know, he would catch the ball. He would do some of the return things. He looked good. I think this is the first time it really was on notice. I think they will need to work with him a little bit on a couple of things uh, with his return game, including, you know, sometimes you can't be as patient as you he was. That'll allow the coverage to get there. I know at times it's a good way to go, uh, but that's something he'll get better at. But I thought he became a real option 
for the 49ers to fill in for Ray Ray McLeod. And that's something the 49ers are going to have to decide. If Jamison's going to be on this roster, he's an easy fill uh, for punt and kick return. If he's not, then they might have to go a different direction because I still don't believe the 49ers would keep a player just to be a kickoff and punt returner. They want them to fulfill a role within this 53-man roster. You don't just give away roster spots when you're as talented as the San Francisco 49ers are. Jair Brown. I thought Jair Brown equated himself very well. He looked comfortable flying around, making tackles like a heat-seeking missile. He was flying around, and he was always right there. Prevented a lot of run-after-the-catch situations. Was active inside the box. I thought Jair Brown did a really good job and performed at a high level. And so I'm I'm happy to see his continued growth. Uh, this is the best Jair Brown that I've seen all through training camp. And so far, it's going in the right direction. So hopefully he just continues to stack days and that he's going to be uh, one of those players that you know, the Foreigners are really happy with when we get into the regular season as he's able to uh, make an impact and help the 49ers, whether that's on special teams or eventually in three safety looks or heaven forbid they lose one of their starting safeties. His running mate for this game, Taylor Hawkins, was another guy I thought played really well. So if you know, if you've been on the channel, I've been a fan of Taylor Hawkins. because The 49ers signed him as an undrafted free agent out of San Diego State last season. And I thought that uh, Taylor Hawkins not only was in and around the line of scrimmage making tackles, but also he was uh, there in coverage as well. Nearly had an interception on a tip ball from Ambry Thomas. I thought Taylor Hawkins did a good job a long road to be able to compete uh, but I thought it was interesting that he did get the start over you know a Miles Hartsfeld uh, Hartsfeld competing for a roster spot at safety and Taylor Hawkins was the one to get the start with the four yards electing you sit Talano Hufanga Deshaun Gibson and then George Odom and Odom has been my number three safety so far and I think him getting to sit kind of shows that and the four yards look at the young guys I thought Jared Brown's definitely making this roster so I don't think there's a, a real opportunity for Taylor Hawkins to make the team, but I think he put out some really good film, and he's showing that he's growing within this 49ers defense. So I was super excited about uh, his potential. So those were my stock-up defensive players from the 49ers game versus the Raiders. And then I want to go to a segment wasn't as bad as it appeared. And there was two guys that I really wanted to point out. They weren't as bad as it appeared because – these guys were getting absolutely blasted on Twitter uh, and blasted, you know, by a lot of uh, people that talk 49ers. And I just wanted to say, hey, after I went through the film, it wasn't as bad as it appeared. Did they play a perfect game? No. Did they play a great game? No. Uh, but I think these guys are probably getting a little bit of a bad rep. And if anyone watches the film, they'll see the same thing. First off is Javon Kinlaw. Uh, Javon Kinlaw did not play as bad as it appeared on film. Uh, there were a couple of situations where, you know, like I said, he did the long stick uh, to the left side. There was not a corresponding stunt, whether that was his mistake or Kevin Givens or a linebacker. It definitely looked bad because Javon Kinlaw went to the left and the run came right back to where he was. And it was a design play and it just worked against his favor. So there was some sort of mistake, some sort of miscommunication there. But it made Javon Kinlaw look like he made a bad play instead of him just executing what he's supposed to do and the rest of his teammates potentially not picking him up. So I thought that was number one. Another situation, he made a swim move to the outside and he got a little high. 
Uh, those are definitely things he can't allow to happen. He's going to make sure he's only doing those sorts of things on obvious pass downs. So I thought that was another one where Kinlaw, you know, probably could have done better. But there was lots of plays where he was getting penetration. He was pushing the pocket. He was hustling. He was holding his ground. You could see plays where he got doubled at the point of attack and he would hold his ground and you would see Kevin Givens get knocked back two or three yards. So I thought overall it was a good performance from Kinlaw. It wasn't great. It wasn't what we've been seeing in training camp as a guy that's excelling at the highest level we've seen, but it was solid. And so I think when people go back and watch the film, they'll see that it wasn't as bad, but those highlighted plays, the one where he goes you know, the wrong way because of scheme and the one where he swims to the outside and is getting double team where he wasn't able to get there. My question about that play could be, I wonder if Chris Kacarek said, hey, go ahead, be aggressive, attack, because we see T.Y. McGill do the same sort of thing. So maybe they were telling their guys, just go and see what you can get away with, because sometimes you can break double teams just with speed, and maybe Ken Law was giving that a try. So finding what your limitations are are really important. But overall, I think going back and watching it, Ken Law wasn't as bad as initially uh, thought when watching the game for the first time. Second of all is Nick Sakel. And this one will probably be the most scrutinized uh, out of all the guys because I went back and watched Nick Zakel, And I thought, number one, uh, when, he was, when he was playing in the run game and he had a one-on-one -on -one rep, he was getting pretty good movement. I thought he did a pretty good job there. Now, we talked about the one where he got beat to the outside where definitely the defender, he expected the defender to get come back in. He got head up, but then he gave up the outside here when he had the inside help from Feliciano. He should have rotated that outside uh, hip and body and got him around a little bit to get him back inside to where the help is. Uh, but I think he thought he could handle him. Some of the his days playing tackle in college, he believed he could handle him to the outside. It is a different animal playing inside than outside. You're not allowed so much space. Their kick slide is a lot different. You can't give up as much ground. All those things are things Nick Zakel has to continue to work on. But I thought that was a really bad rep. And then the other one that people are going to remember is the one he goes down. And that was one of the most interesting plays for me because I really do believe he tripped over you know, the center, Keith Ishmael. And Ishmael was in, and he was double teaming. And I think Nick Zakel believed with the type of drop that he had he was going to take a little bit of a deeper set. Uh, so the so Trey Lance was going to take a five-step drop. Nick Zakel was going to take a, a little bit of a deeper kick slide, and he didn't expect for Keith Ishmael and Jason Poe to get a, any sort of uh, movement backwards. He thought he was going to have spacing, and so he didn't think he was going to get tripped up. And I think in this category, they got moved back a little bit, and because of that, uh, his foot definitely uh, clipped them, and he went down. So ultimately, they got to get that ironed out. And if you know, if, if it's a, a thing where Zakel um, needs to change up what his his slide is going to look like and what his set is going to be, then he needs to change it up. But overall, too, they need to make sure there's no movement if you're in a double team in that situation. Uh, so I think that it was a combination of things. But that's why working offensive line is one of the most important things. Getting that chemistry, camaraderie, working together, uh, good communication, knowing how each person's going to operate. But, um, you know, a, a lot of people are acting like Nick Zakel just had the worst game ever. I think he had those two really bad reps. And I think there was a, you know, for the most part, the rest of them were pretty good. And so you're talking about a guy that could be your eighth or ninth best offensive lineman. I think as far as eighth or ninth best offensive lineman for a young guy, 
Uh, I thought he equated himself pretty well. And I do think that there were other players amongst the offensive line that maybe struggled a little bit more. Uh, but overall, I thought the Knicks Hells improved a ton from last year. And I'm not going to let those two moments, uh, one where, yes, he got beat, and the other where I saw him end up on the ground that ends up with him getting beat. I'm not going to let those two kind of distract me from all the other things that he did uh, during the game. So I'm optimistic about what we're going to see from Nick Zakel in Denver and then ultimately against the Chargers. And I'm wondering if they're going to clean up some of these things. You're just going to see uh, the improved Nick Zakel that I saw as far as technique and ability in the other snaps uh, that I watched him play. Because I watched every single one of his 30-plus snaps that he had in the game. And I watched some of them a couple of times because I wanted to watch his technique and his approach. And I thought overall it wasn't as bad as what people thought, even though people are kind of, you know, laying it out there that this guy's terrible. He's not terrible. He's a solid NFL backup, and he's going to continue to develop over the next few weeks. And I have a feeling that he still has a really good shot to make this 53. But I do think he's the next best interior offensive lineman behind John Feliciano. So that's the episode for today. Upon further review, going through the game, talking about these players, uh, talking about you know some of the stock up stock uh, stock up players on offense and defense, and just going through some of the guys, you know. And I think that there's a lot to break down. And continuing that process through the week, uh, we'll kind of continue on the channel to break it down a little bit, talk about performances, and then we'll kind of turn our attention to Denver and what the 49ers players need to do and maybe even how some of these guys are situated on the depth chart really excited for all the content thank you guys so much for coming through and joining me for 49ers cutback on believe you guys are the best i'll catch you guys on the next one until then stay safe and remember the right way is always the 49ers way Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.